It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. www.money-guy.com. That's right, I knew you were expecting me to say good afternoon or something like that. So I felt like I'd mix it up a little bit. We're in one of those weird moods. We're going to be talking about estate planning 101 because we've been doing a lot of work here at the office to kind of just make sure that all of our clients have thought about everything with their beneficiary designations and, you know, all their true wishes are reflected with their accounts that they have with us. But I think that's led to, Bo and I were talking about, he goes, why don't we do a show to kind of talk about some of these terms that we've just explained to all of our clients? Because don't you feel like estate planning is sort of one of those black box things that a lot of people don't really understand? They don't know what they need to know and what they don't need to know. And it's kind of confusing and fuzzy, and they don't know what is actually important to pay attention to. Would you yeah, agree with that? And, and uh, Definitely is, because it can be as complicated. We can go a mile deep with how complicated your estate planning needs to be. Or it can be very simple. Right. And and I will tell you, I think most of the times it can be very simple, right. but there are people that will do what I call the, the spin your head technique, where there's a lot of uh, attorneys and others that will try to put you in something that might be a little more complex when it really doesn't fit. Right. But, uh, and we'll get into that in a little more detail. And I'll actually give you a case study of, of a, an issue we've worked through recently. And there was an attorney we came across that I was really impressed with how he handled it. And mm-hmm. I know he goes really deep with a lot of his clients, but it showed me that he doesn't when it's not necessary. And I was impressed with that. Um, I, I do want to give some feedback. We did a show on Lending Club. It was our last show. Wow, did we get a lot of feedback. I mean, it, I mean a lot of emails. I, I wanted to also give a personal special shout out to Jim. Jim um, shared some of his research because he's been doing it for a few years now. Um, one of our listeners, I know he's a personal finance teacher or yep, a finance right. teacher, and I thought that was incredible that he was so open and willing to share. So maybe, you know, that's the great thing about the Money Guy community is that, you know, I feel like I give it away, you guys give it away, and we all kind of come out on the other side a little bit better. And I'm just constantly amazed because we got so much feedback. We actually were able to talk to a few of the listeners, and it's amazing at how, you know, we came up, we were talking about this Lending Club idea. I mean, the, the, you guys out there are amazing because you really are the top of the food chain. Some of the, the sophistication that you guys have brought into how you do this and the research you've done and how you do lending, it's just, it's amazing for us to watch. It lets us know that we're not the only two super nerds sitting out there who really, who really get a kick out of this stuff. So if you, you know, if you're looking for a hobby, something that, you know, if you got a few extra bucks and, you know, you're not, keeping up with the sports blogs like all your buddies are because you'd rather use your time to make money, go check out our Lending Club episode. I think it really was one that kind of touched people. It was an introduction to a new concept that that probably peer-to-peer lending is not going to be one of those fly-by-night type things. I think this is something we'll be hearing about for years to come. Um, before we jump into the estate planning, I'll give you the website. It's money-guy.com. I know I gave it at the beginning, but that was almost that was kind of just a break-up bow, make sure he was awake over there. Um, you can write the show. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com. By day, I'm a fee-only financial advisor with offices on the south side of Atlanta and McDonough, as well as up in Nashville, Tennessee, and Augusta, Georgia. Um, Bo, my, my cohort here, he's he's also a financial advisor, but he's got the CFA, which is a chartered financial analyst. Shows that he goes a little a lot deeper, I should say, with his knowledge on investments. And we just try to give you as much information as possible to make good personal financial decisions. His email address is bo at money-guy.com. 
And um, I want to give, uh, you know, I've told you guys, one of the things you can't buy happiness, and I've also found is I buy nice things, sometimes they lose their, their, their shimmer or their, or, or what's really appealing about them once you own them. You know, it's the same thing. You listen to the radio, you find a great song that you love, you go download it on iTunes. I used to say for 99 cents, now it's like $1.29, <laughs> price inflation. And, you know, and after you own it, you're like, ah, that song's overdone. I right. don't really love it as much. The exception I found to that rule is my, my Jeep. I bought a TJ, a Wrangler Jeep. Um, it's all lifted up, all nice. Well, I've contemplated for a while now, do I put new rims and wheels, kind of modernize it, take it out of that, that early 2000 look that it kind right. of has? Um, and I, I dropped it off today to get the new wheels put on there. But what was funny to me it was the shopping process when I was went to this location that does aftermarket rims and upgraded wheels. The guy in front of me, was also buying rims for his vehicle. The difference between this guy and me, though, is how we paid for it. <laughs> he um, and it was it was a spectacle to see. If he only he'd have known that he had a numbers geek, you know, who loves finances sitting next to him as he was paying for his rims, is because or if he would have known that his story right now is being shared oh, with gosh. thousands and thousands I, of people I, across I, the I country. Sorry for the guy though, because you know I, one of the concepts I'm working on and I've talked about all the time is cost to fund ratio, but this guy. He was about to pay for his rims with four credit cards. <laughs> Here's a clue. If you have to pay with four credit cards, probably shouldn't be buying rims. Here's your sign, right? Yeah, it, it's one of those things. So today I went to drop the car off, and I asked the guy, you know, the same guy who waited on me who was waiting on this guy with the four credit cards. I said, how often does that happen? I mean, because they, they don't take checks. I mean, right. that's for a reason. They'll take cash, and they'll take, you know, credit cards, or... And this is the third option that the guy told me today. They'll finance it. Oh. And I said, so do you really have people who finance their tires? And he goes, you would be shocked at how many people will spend two or $3,000 on wheels and tires and finance them over three years with us. And he goes, it's insane because he goes, the tires will be bald before they even have them paid off. That's nuts. And, you know, and I just, I, he says he gets EBT cards offered. You know, that's, that's the... The government assistance. Right. It's just one of those things where we are definitely surrounded by a lot of people who are not making good financial decisions. Mm -hmm. So I, I just want to share that because I'm sure you guys have stories all the time where you're out there in the public and you see somebody not even at the fork in the road. They're just knee deep, quickly headed towards chest deep of making bad financial decisions. And then they'll be the first people to go, why am I having so much trouble right. paying for these things? Um, it's those type of decisions. Using four credit cards for, for wheels <laughs> probably is not a good indicator that you're making superb financial I'm sure decisions. I'm sure he's maxing out his 401k. Oh, right. Of course. Um, of course. Let's jump into the estate planning. First of all, I want to kind of go into what it is and who needs it. Okay. And who needs to you know, make sure they're taking advantage of things. Here's I went to my old trusted source, you know, like all people do, went to Wikipedia. Let's read what estate planning is according to Wikipedia. Okay. Got to make sure I breathe deep because this thing was boring. I almost fell asleep twice while I was reading it. Here, here's what it says. It says, estate planning is the process. I'm going to liven this up just so you guys don't fall asleep. Estate planning is the process of anticipating and arranging for the disposal of an estate during your life. Estate planning typically attempts to eliminate uncertainties over the administration of a probate and maximize the value of the estate by reducing taxes and other expenses. 
guardians are often designated for minor children and beneficiaries in incapacity. Well, that was just clear. I mean, I, I got it. Who the pretty, heck wrote that? Quick. I got that pretty quick. I mean, quick. I know Wikipedia is like open structure, but whoever wrote that, they're so nerdy they don't even know what they wrote because that was just dry. Um, I summed it up. This is what I kind of jotted down to myself. What I consider estate planning is just to make sure your wishes are met on protecting your loved ones and making sure they're going to be okay if something should happen to you. You know, that, that all your stuff is basically passed down in the way that you wanted to. And if there's any needs that maybe weren't fulfilled while you were on the planet living, that your estate plan should take care of those things too. So those are the key things if you really want to know what estate planning is. Now, that sounds so much cleaner than what Absolutely. Wikipedia said. And I, and, I was disappointed. And the planning part of it is we try to pay the smallest amount of taxes on the transition as possible, right? I mean, that's where the real planning comes in. It, it definitely does. Now, this is the pre-show. We didn't do any prep for this show, and you probably can tell by the way we run the show. But I did tell Carol right before we went to record I said, Carol, I'm going to put you on the spot because I wrote down, I jotted down some exercises I wanted to do because I think when when people hear estate planning, they say, wills, go get your wills done. And, right. and it is one of those things, especially those people who have kids, and I've said this a gazillion times, if you have kids, you've got to have wills because you want to make sure that your kids go to the right guardian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm always surprised when I talk to married couples um, you know, or any couple, and, and they tell me, well, we don't agree on which relative or which friend should get the kids. Well, if you don't agree, what do you think is going to happen after you're not even here to express your opinion or thoughts right. anymore? So have those hard discussions and figure it out. But I think a lot of people, after they get past the guardianship of the kids, when they hear wills, they're like, oh, if I get a will, everything will fall into place with my estate because that's what I need is a will. Right. That is not the case. There are so many assets that have nothing to do with your will. And if you're not careful, you'll really get yourself in a pickle of a situation without even meaning to. So I think it's very important to know what assets are covered by will and how they'll pass to your, to your heirs. So here's where I want to put you on the spot, Carol. And believe me, you have no microphone in front of you, so nobody's going to hear what you answer. So, but, but they will get to hear me kind of narrate what's going on. So what I did was I wanted to come up with, I'm going to read out some different type of things that you might pass away with and ask you, do you think the will covers that? Or do you think it goes by some other means? Gabe, you're not involved because you took financial planning courses. So you're exempt from that. Bo, you know, I don't want you to show off. So here we go. <laughs> checking account. A joint checking account. Not covered by the will? Very good. I need to have a bell or something. Why don't we should have done we should better have sound better effect. prep? You know, some sound effect. Or maybe Bo, maybe you can go ding 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 ding. Okay. But anyway, keep going. Um I did want to say one thing's about joint checking accounts. A lot of people and, and Carol's exactly right. They're not co- majority of the time, they're not covered by your wills. They they have rights of survivorship built into them. Now, if you do have a joint account that you don't, your goal is not to give the residual amount of the account to whoever's listed on the account with you when you pass away, then you need to structure it completely different. There is a title where it's tenants in common. If you will just, you know, talk to your bank official, talk to your investment, you know, person and just say, or when you go to, you know, call the 1-800 number on your monthly account statements. If you do want to have it passed by some other means than just going to the survivor or the person that's listed on the joint account, Tenants in common is your friend. So I just want to make sure I put that out there. So 
How about your primary residence? It, it typically, it, it, the title is structured as just like a joint account. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, a lot of times it is. It does. It is subject to real estate is subject to wills. Um, you can have life estates and other things that are creative. It all depends upon how it's titled. But a lot of times, real estate right. passes through your will. Um, life insurance. Nope. Life insurance does not eh. pass from a will. I couldn't come I mean, up with a ding, ding, ding sound. But no, I came life up insurance, I think that's, what, and that's, that's a big one. And we'll get into why that's such a big one in a minute. But life insurance has nothing to do with your wills unless you don't put any beneficiary designations right. on the account. Um, IRAs and 401ks, your retirement accounts. There you go. Look at that. That's because we do a lot of those forms <laughs> here in this office. Um, and how about your prize stamp collection? You know, if somebody has a big stamp collection, that is it's probably going to be in the will under your personal mm-hmm. effects. Um, furniture and jewelry. Yeah. That, that's yeah. A, th- those are all, those are perfect examples because that's what I want people to understand is that just going through the list, your, your joint accounts, that probably will's not going to have any impact on them. Your life insurance, they're going to be beneficiary designations. So are your IRAs and 401ks. So just understand how things flow through an estate. And and what are some benefits? And I mean, tell me if I'm getting ahead of us here, but what are some benefits of having those things not passed by way of the will? Well, there, there's preferred tax treatment on a lot of your retirement accounts, especially, um, you know, spouses, you know, don't have the estate limits anyway. But a lot of times your heirs, your children, your, you know, whoever you want inheriting those retirement accounts, there can be... They have the ability to almost extend the tax defer- the tax deferred period right. longer if they're if they're designated beneficiary recipients. So okay. it's a lot better than just going through the estate where it has to be paid out very quickly. And then if any if any of you guys have ever lost a loved one, you've gone through this. You see, there's kind of a process that's involved when someone passes away called the probate process, right. and it's kind of. The courts get involved, and it's a little bit of a hairier, stickier situation. Some of those things that pass outside the will can actually avoid the whole process and serve as a much more seamless transition than having to go through the courts and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's really quick. I mean, if not to make light of it, but it is interesting, you know, very quick, that if you beneficiary designation items, the life insurance, your retirement accounts, um, the joint accounts that, that have with rights of survivorship built into them, all you really need is a death certificate. So right. if you are one of these people that's ever in a situation where you have to take care of a loved one's estate, I would recommend, you know, you, it's usually when you're in your worst situation, immediately after the death, that they're going to ask you, how many death certificates do you want to order? We've unfortunately had to deal with quite a number of estates for for clients and their relatives of clients, as well as, you know, I've lost my father, and Bo, you've lost some relatives. I tell people, order at least 10. If you know the person had accounts all over the place, maybe 15 death certificates, it because they're very cheap to order if you order them uh, when you order them in bulk. But if you have to order one or two death certificates and then you go back and order another one or two death certificates, you will nickel and dime yourself as well as delay the process right. significantly. So, so order a number of death certificates if you're ever in that situation. Um, I also tell people, realize when you do the will, when you get a will drafted, a lot of times a common thing these days is to get health care directives or living wills put into the, into the estate documents. And what do those uh, say? What those do is is that they let you know, and this is something that it's getting a lot more media attention because of all the health care changes, is that you want to be able to have your loved ones to kind of know your wishes. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, some, if you be, should become incapacitated, if you you know, become where you need to to 
have a, a, a mechanical breathing or, right. you know, there's all kind of different treatments that you just might not want to subject yourself to. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, or if you know your brain dad, you probably don't want them keeping you alive, but you need to have some type of legal document that will let your wishes be known. And then the directives also a lot of times will appoint an agent. That's usually a loved one, a spouse, a relative, or, you know, somebody you are willing to put in a fiduciary capacity to act in your best interest and make those hard health care decisions when you're not around. Um, so that's something, especially with the graying of America and, right. you know, all of us having parents that are getting a little bit older. That's something that's, that's morbid to talk about, but very, very important just to make sure you get that, that settled down. Um, I also want to talk about, the, you know, in will preparation, there's, there's really four main components. You know, wills, my own mother just redid her wills. Right. And, you know, and I was going through it and the, and the documents get, start to get thick, boring. A lot of it's boilerplate, you know, just legal talk that they have to right. put in there. But here's the four things that you kind of need to know. Well, I guess I'll say five because there's something you got to have just to get in the door. You need to have an accounting of what you have, you know, that whole net worth statement that I'll talk about here in a minute. But the four things I was kind of getting at is the guardianship. Um, you got to know what you're going to do with the kids. I can't reiterate that enough. You got to know who you're going to put in as executor and then make sure you have backups. And this, this is, who you choose as your executor, it doesn't need to be a surprise to them. Right. Yes. You should certainly I mean, talk to them before. Same thing them. with a guardianship, by the way. Don't surprise. You know, you know, I know that's a great Hollywood script that, you know, they've made multiple movies out of, you know, a person who inherits the kids, you right. know, and there's, and, and it's all kind of follies ensue and it's great entertainment, but it's horrible in real life. So don't surprise anybody with being a guardian or an executor. You need to, have these discussions with your friends and relatives and family so that they know what the responsibility is, but also they're prepared for it. Um, so that you're not catching somebody out of the blue. Cause I just don't think it works out like it does in the Hollywood right. movies. If you don't have these discussions, I'd also tell you to think about the big things, you know, the big things. And they usually, and this is the easy thing is they take care of themselves, but you need to talk about where do you want the real estate to go? Where do you want the furniture and those type of things? Uh, kind of the bigger touchable, some value type assets, the vehicles. Right. But here's the the fourth thing is the biggest thing. And this is what I deal with a lot. And I've even dealt with it personally with my own family situation is it's the little sentimental things that's going to break the family up. So if you want to do your family and friends a lot of favors, figure out what you want to do with the little stuff. You know, the and sentimental when you, when you stuff. say little stuff, you're talking about, you know, Maybe jewelry that was passed down or... Yeah, I mean, like I can give you the perfect example is with my father. You know, my father, you know, was a, a great collegiate athlete. He played um, football down at University of Florida with Steve Spurrier. was the left tackle for him. And and he had a lot of cool memorabilia from when he played, you know, football. You know, a lot of bowl rings, um, you know, medallions and things that he had picked up from, mm-hmm. from doing that. Game balls, a lot of game balls and things like that that... That was really sentimental and that stuff, nobody, there was no direction given. So it was just a free for all when it was time. But, you know, I've dealt with, you know, my wife has lost grandparents as well and there's furniture, um, that might be very sentimental or a necklace or a ring. And, you know, even I've seen antique toasters and, you know, mixers, those KitchenAid mixers. Right. I've seen people not talk anymore because those things that were so sentimental. We're never talked about, right? And you know, so if you try to, if you want to help your 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 family so that they don't fight, 
the money sometimes is not what people fight about. It's the sentimental stuff because they're trying to, especially in the time of need right after somebody passes, you're grasping to hang on to that person that you've lost with every ounce of your body and you want to will that they're not gone anymore. So, you, you know, what you cope with is you try to, to take anything that's sentimental right. and, and that's why it gets so, so hard. Um, so, so do your family a lot of favors by talking about those things and, and maybe you don't have to have a formal list because, I mean, we talked to an attorney recently who said be careful attaching that to the will right. because things might change. But maybe you do have a list um, that your family will respect and just write out, you know, what you, what your wishes are um, if something should happen to you with the, the sentimental items. So moving away from kind of the will and, and that big estate document, I want to talk about beneficiary designations. Okay. But unless, you know, you if I forget anything because, you know, that I didn't cover in the notes, you know, let me know and jump in. But retirement accounts. We've done a full study of all of our clients and looking at all their retirement accounts. When I talk about retirement accounts, we're talking about 401ks, 403bs, Roth IRAs, simple IRAs, SEP IRAs, you know, any type of IRA that, that you can think of. And what a lot of people don't realize is that there's options. You go put your primary beneficiary, which is if something happens to you, that's where the money rolls out to. But then there's also what's called a contingent beneficiary, just in case the person you put as your primary is no longer living themselves because a lot of times you make these designations and then a decade might go by right. and people pass away. That contingent kind of is, is there in the background. But what a lot of people don't realize, and I had a call actually with a very special client today, is that your life changes. I mean, if you're, if you're an adult and you're getting to the age where you, you have adult children now, and maybe you name as you're in your, you're single, you name your two adult children as your beneficiaries, as your primary beneficiaries. You make your daughter 50% beneficiary and you make your son a primary beneficiary at 50%. And that's that's perfect because right. those are the two people you love with all your heart. But then say life changes and your son has beautiful grandchildren <laughs> and you love these grandchildren. You love, you know, when they come over and play at your house, these children are special to you, um, just as special as your children are. Well, your estate situation's changed. Right. So, and what people don't realize is if you list, you know, your two children as primaries and you don't know about this concept called persterpes, you might, there, there, there's some decisions to be made there because the way, if you just check, if you just put in the primary beneficiaries 50 50 and don't check into this concept called persterpes, if the son passes away, but the daughter is still living, his sister, she'll get a hundred percent of the account. Right. Because, the, you know, that's just the way the document works. But if you check that box called persterpes, she still only gets 50%. But then his children get his 50% right. broken out amongst them. And that's, that's something that we've tried to talk to clients about just to make sure they understand that there are options. And because, believe me, when you fill out the Vanguard or Fidelity or Schwab, you know, name whoever you want, a lot of times they don't explain that term. And it's right. kind of a funny... It's a funny word. I mean, when, when I took this client who called me to talk about this, I wish I could, I should have recorded how she pronounced it because it was, it was not persterpes. I mean, it came out. It, she, I could tell what word she meant, but right, it was right. not, not what we had put in the letter. Um, so, so just make sure you understand when we're talking about beneficiary designations that you gotta, you gotta make sure those wishes are reflected because I, I think a lot of people just fill out the, de- 
designations and don't think about those things. Um, life insurance. Well, before before we switch off of that, a few a few things to think uh, to think about. And if you don't know the answers to this, and you do have an attorney who you talk with, you know certainly get your attorney's guidance, your financial advisor's guidance, your insurance agent's guidance. You know, talk to someone who you respect to kind of understand these things. But you can name a primary beneficiary. Um, you can also name a contingent. If you don't name any beneficiary, or if you don't name a contingent, the primary is no longer no longer here when you pass. It will go to, go to your state. So if yeah. you don't name anyone, it just defaults to your state, and then it passes according to your will. Um, one thing to to make note of is that you have to, if you do start adding per serpes designations, you need to recognize that that trumps anyone you have listed as a contingent. That's so true. in the example that that Brian gave. Even if she had named contingent beneficiaries, it wouldn't have mattered in the case of her son because she had selected uh, per Sturpey's designation. So make sure you understand exactly what um, what you're trying to do. What we have done that we found to be successful when helping clients with this is drawing pictures. Yeah. You know, you essentially could draw a little diagram, show it to them, and kind of show how it flows out. Uh, and it makes a lot more sense that way. Yeah, and, and probably a really good example, what you see majority of the time, is that you'll see you'll list your spouse as your primary. Your significant other is your primary. And then you might list the kids, you know, your children as the contingents. Right. And if they're adults, you know, when you know someone's, that's when you check the purse star pieces right. on the contingent. That way you're covered three levels. It works out beautifully. Right. Um, thank you for filling in the gaps on that. Cause you know what, what you guys don't understand is I am that personality that I got a list because I, I jot down a few show notes. I'm trying to make sure I get through my notes because I look down <laughs> here at the clock to see how deep we are in time and I start panicking that I got to move forward. And sometimes I leave big chunks of the puzzle sitting out there. And that's why Bo's there to kind of catch me and make sure we don't leave any of those big nuggets sitting on the side. Um, life insurance, you know, it's really ties into the, the whole beneficiary designation. Remember, it goes completely outside of your will, unless it's written in your beneficiary or, or left blank, that, that you don't name anybody. But I will tell you, life insurance is one of those things that I've seen it help pay for um, a lot of the burial expenses. I've seen it help get spouses through really tough patches because it doesn't have to go through that administration or probate period, um, trying to set, you know, get the court to decree the executor is the person that's the fiduciary right. of the estate. That can take a period of time. It can take weeks. It can take months. That's why it's nice when you get that estate. I mean, that, that death certificate, you can get these life insurance checks very, very quickly. And that's sometimes a saving grace for a lot of these, these survivors. So make sure that life insurance beneficiaries are correct and you're know, named. Um, also remind people, just giving you some quick thoughts on coverage. I always tell people, you know, do 10 times your income and do term insurance, you know, unless you have some unique, because permanent insurance is perfectly fine if you're probably that three to 5% that needs it. But I would tell you, I, my opinion is 95% of the public who's buying life insurance probably just needs term insurance because the whole purpose of insurance is to replace income you know, that you won't be here anymore and you want to fulfill some of those wishes. You want to send your kids to college. You want to help your spouse pay off the primary mortgage as well as make sure they have money to to fulfill some financial independence. That's what life insurance is, is there to do. Now, you, what your hopeful thought is and why I think term is okay is you're thinking 20 years in the future after the kids are out of the house, after you've been saving like a hyper saver, like we know you have, saving that 15 to 20% in 15 to 20 years, Hopefully you don't need life insurance anymore, and it's okay if it goes away at that point. Now, there are people that are going to need permanent for estate planning 
or, or fulfilling some needs, you know, that, that they might have. But that's an, a whole nother discussion we right. can get into. So I just wanted to kind of give those thoughts on life insurance. Realize that in kind of the, some, some things to close out the show with, because we are getting a little long on time here, is that here's some the other estate planning thoughts I want to put down is don't let life sneak up on you. Right. What I mean by that is just like that previous phone call. She had a son who had grandchildren. And, you know, those type of life events, when you have kids or grandkids, you've got to really think about how does that change your your thoughts on what you want your estate plan to do for you. Don't let divorce sneak up on you. I will, I will tell you, we have had, they're not clients anymore, but we have had clients in the past that were no longer with the person that they inherited their retirement plan from. Right. Um, and it was because... Uh, the um the you know ex. the the person didn't update the the, the beneficiary designation on on their retirement accounts um so the ex got the money right. so if you have a divorce you know or if make you have sure any you significant life change if you get married if you get divorced uh, if you have children if you have loved ones who pass away make sure you understand that you do need to be updating this as you go and there's nothing wrong with every two or three years reviewing all of this because the cool thing about beneficiary designations are with a unique exception of spouses on retirement plans you can pretty much change them at any time it's right. not a, not a difficult thing to do so you want to make sure you always keep it as up to date as possible so the birth of children grandchildren divorce or death or really those life events any one of those things occur probably a good time to go back and, and look at your estate plan. Um, another thing, you know, I've already kind of hinted at it, a big thing that Bo and I do, and I lick my chops every year around December, getting ready for it in January, I get to actually do it. It's preparing that annual net worth statement just to kind of have a, a benchmark of where you are with your personal finances, but also has the tremendous benefit that when you go see an attorney about drafting um, an estate document, there's your inventory of all the things that you have. So, so make sure you, you consider doing that annual net worth statement just so you have the, that, that inventory of what you have. Um, if you keep your estate documents in your safety deposit box, make sure that someone has a copy of those documents. Yeah. Because remember, you know, why do we like safety deposit boxes? Cause they're uber secure. Right. And unless you have that magical key, you're not getting in there. So it's going to take a while if the person, you know, if you're no longer on the planet, and your loved ones don't have a copy of that safety deposit box, it's going to take a while for the courts to say, hey, this you guy can, can get in there. Yeah. you know. Right. So make sure somebody has a copy of your estate documents if you're putting all that type of stuff in your safety deposit box. Please, please understand what the benefits of stepped-up basis and then how that interacts with gift-giving. Because I will tell you, I have dealt with several cases where you get grandma. <sighs> Oh, can y'all sense how much this troubles me when people do this? Is that you get grandma who's 85 years old, right? And you hear the stories for decades. Grandma was part of the people who loved Coca-Cola. You know, we're here in Atlanta. Forget, remember that. Bought Coca-Cola stock way back when. When it was $4 a share. Uh, you know, I don't even know what, but they made a gazillion dollars off of Coca-Cola stock. So grandma's now getting older. So we got to start getting rid of grandma's assets, you know, because she would want her kids to, you know, all the grandkids and everybody to, 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 to enjoy this Coca-Cola stock. Because what's the common mis misconception? If you have means, if you have any assets at all, you assume, oh, no, if I pass away, I'm going to have a heavy tax burden 
because right. I have assets. And I think you're probably going to get that in a second, but that's probably not yeah. as much the case as it is, you know, for, for most people. Give them, and I'm putting you on the spot, but what's, what's the threshold for the estate tax right now? So now if you're listening, now I'm going to go and say today is, today, this is August of 2013, because if you're listening this <laughs> a few years, changes in, all the time. few years in the future, it may be different. But right now for, for a married couple, Generally, you need to have an estate worth more than $10 million. Because that's $5 million for each spouse. And you're pretty much covered. I mean, there, there's some, you, you kind of get to avoid a lot of those estate taxes so long as your personal estate stays below $5 million. Um, so a lot of people who think they have to start giving away, you know, stock or any sort of assets are doing it probably prematurely and really, really hurting themselves in terms of, being able to get that stepped up basis. And, and here's what here's what I mean by this is that I, what I have seen is say you have grandma who's got a million and a half dollars of value of assets. She's worth a million and a half. So grandma's a millionaire and maybe she has $400,000 worth of Coca-Cola stock. So what I have run into is you see people will start giving away to the grandkids as well to, to the kids this Coca-Cola stock. They'll divvy it up. And what happens is if you give away this appreciated stock, to somebody while they're alive, their tax burden, if they any of the grandkids or the or the or their children try to sell it, is just like if grandma sold the assets. You know, so if grandma paid four dollars, I'm just making up numbers, yeah. and now it's worth a hundred dollars. The kids are gonna pay income tax on ninety-six of the hundred dollars. Whereas if you let grandma pass away with the stock, she mentioned in her will that she wanted the kid to inherit it. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, on, on her taxable individual account, she wanted the kids to inherit. They will get what's called step up in basis, meaning that that stock that's now trading at $100 a share will tr- pass over to the kids and they will pay zero income tax on, on if assuming they sell it at $100. Now, if they sell it at 102 and they, and, and, and it was 100 when she passed away, they'll pay tax on $2. But, you know, uh, for each share. But that's the thing that, Oh my goodness. I've dealt with it. It's not only stocks, by the way. It's not just grandma who has the Coca-Cola stock. We have clients who land. Everybody thinks that, you know, the old homestead, we ought to just go ahead and give it away, sign it away, um, before we pass away. And it's not uncommon that you see people, you know, they're given a house, you know, a rental house or any type of, I mean, a beach house. Mm-hmm. And then they're shocked. When they find out, they don't get the step up in basis because they did it while the, the relative was alive. And by the way, when it was grifted, when it was gifted from grandma to mom, grifted. and when it was grifted from grandma <laughs> to mom, and then mom to daughter, it is so hard to track back what the original basis is. It kind of creates a little bit of a of an administrative nightmare trying to figure out how much the true basis really is. Because by the way, if you can't figure it out, what's Uncle Sam tell you? Oh, he, he wants you to pay the tax. He wants you to pay the tax on the whole thing. Yeah, he wants you to prove what. And it is but from an estate planning thing. You know, dealing with estates, when we have inherited assets come our way, if if we know that they got it from like a, a, a stock account, it is so easy to figure out the taxability of it because all we do is we find out the the date on the death. You know, the date on the death certificate, and then you take the average of the high and the low for the day, and then that's what you use for the price per share makes it so easy. Whereas, you know, if you, if you give it, holy cow, trying to track down a basis mm-hmm. is, I've pulled my hair out on that before. Also understand annual gifts. I mean, you know, cash is king, by the way, with gifts. You know, a lot of people think giving away appreciated stocks and other things is great. But I'll tell you, if you really want to know what's the best gift, cash. Mm-hmm. Because when you give cash, if you've got $10 of cash and you give somebody $10, 
there's no the cost basis is what you gave. Right. I mean, so there's no tax implications. That what's the cap on how much you can gift in in 2013? I think it's thirteen thousand. I believe I need yeah. to check that number. That's what I used this afternoon on the phone call. I okay, was on. great. Who knows if it's changed? That's another one that's in, in indexed for inflation. I'll so tell you. I'll tell you when I know that number very well is starting around uh, around November when we do our <laughs> annual gifting phone calls. Yeah, we do all those, but that's um. I believe it's thirteen thousand dollars, but um. Might want to check that one just to make sure because it is one of those numbers that shifts by five hundred dollars every few years. But but annual gift limits, make sure you understand that because we have we've run into that case too, and people are shocked when we find out that they they've helped you know the, their children with maybe some living expenses, but then they also they get in a bottom situation a where they bought them a car, and then when we find out all this stuff, and you know we don't go too gray with anything because we the people you don't want to mess with the IRS. So you be honest with them about everything. Uh, you know, clients are shocked when I say, guess what? We have to file an additional tax return this year. It's called a gift tax return. They go, what? You have to file a tax return for gifts? I'm like, oh, yeah. It's form 709. So, um, you know, that's one of those things. So make sure you stay within the limits of, of gifting so you don't have an additional. Because that's the gift that keeps on giving. Because not only do you have to file, and it doesn't mean you necessarily have to pay a tax. It just means you, means you might have to burn a part of your lifetime exemption. But here's the part that's the gift that keeps on giving. Usually you go hire a CPA. So not only do you have to file this tax term, but you have to pay yeah, somebody, pay somebody to, to do, do it. it. So it usually burns people. So make sure you understand annual gift limits. And then here's kind of my closing remark. And this is where I, I teased you at the beginning about an attorney that I've been, been impressed with. I have one here locally, and then there's another one we've dealt with up in Nashville that I've been shocked because both these guys are very successful. They also have dealt with very complicated estates. But here's what I find that is very interesting. They default to simple over complicated. Because there are a lot of shops out there, a lot of legal shops that will churn out three or four binders of estate documents for very simple estates. And and I think you've got to be very careful because your estate – it's not one of those things where you want it to be super complicated if it doesn't need to be that. You know, and don't be one of those people that's tricked into thinking that you're paying by the pound when you get estate documents done. That's not a good thing necessarily. So try to keep it simple if possible. You know, now if you are one of these people that has a very complex situation, yeah, you're going to need some things. You might need trust. You might need some additional planning, but a lot of times simple is your friend. So, be careful when you, when you get into complex stuff. And that's why, I guess, kind of the additional closing thing is, I know, believe me, I'm a tightwad, self-professed. We all want to just go on the Internet and get the bowler plate because, like, how hard is it to draft an estate right, document? Right. I mean, they're using the same language over and over. But you got to pay for an attorney, I think. Mm-hmm. I think you have to be very careful the online stuff. Um, only because, realize, every state's got different stuff going on, and I know they, they, they customize it by state. But here's the other part is the accountability, is that it's the same thing when we talk about life insurance. When you're dealing with these type of professional services that are so, so important, you want to have, if something goes wrong, your heirs are going to be able to have somebody to go to and help navigate the process. And that's what I think the estate documents, getting an actual attorney they can be held accountable as well as to help navigate and shepherd you through the process or your loved ones through the process. It's worth it. And you can know it's done right. I mean, you can you can break your arm, go Google how to reset a broken arm and probably find an answer for that on the Internet, but you'd much rather have a professional do it. 
I, I would probably say reset a, a shoulder out of joint versus a broken arm. Well, I yeah. can't see anybody. I don't know anything about the medical field. tree limb out of the yard and then tape it around. I mean, this is what type of light? Who raised you? I mean, a, I, I thought you were going to pull like a Kurt Russell type or, or, or Sylvester Stallone where you bang your, your shoulder up against the door frame to knock it in joint. But I don't know if you're fixing a broken arm. Yeah, maybe that so. wasn't the best example. But um, I, I do think estate planning, I think, is a scary discussion topic. But guys, unfortunately, we dealt with this enough that it's it's such an important one. So so don't if you know you're going to have important things going on, like you're flying out of the country, um, or you know big life events are occurring. Don't push these things off for the future. Go ahead and do this planning right now, just in case the unthinkable happens. Because that's what really good planning does is it protects your loved ones and, and gets you to that place. I mean, that's what the whole purpose of this show help you make better financial decisions. So that you not only get financial independence, but just in case the unforeseen happens, you're going to be okay as well. So thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Brian Preston. Thanks for the feedback that y'all have given us out there on iTunes, checking us out on Stitcher. Hope you're checking it. Also following us on Twitter. See, Bill, I got it in this I time. like it. I like it. Um, you can write the show, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com or Bo, Bo at money-guy.com. And we'll talk to you in about two weeks. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.